The myth that MAGA is driven by white rage. Hillary Clinton should hang her head in shame. No matter how justified you think it is, prosecuting someone for what lives inside their minds and their hearts is a road to ruin. It's even worse than that. It's a road to moral panics that lead to systematic dehumanization that wrecks whole societies. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg might have been selling secrets to the Soviets, but that didn't mean everyone in America who ever supported Marxist ideology was a traitor. Fear of what you can't see leaves it up to your imagination, and when it comes to human beings, that is an unreliable source. Systematic dehumanization meant that newly freed slaves had to be turned into existential threats to an otherwise pristine utopia in the South. They were thieves, murderers, and rapists. In Nazi Germany, Jews were parasites, draft dodgers, and uniquely evil. It's been decided that Trump supporters, or MAGA, are all angry white men. They are an existential threat because inside their minds and hearts is the unique evil of racism. This has never been questioned. It is a fear that has become a certainty across all institutions, culturally and politically, not just on the left, but on the establishment right. That is the kind of rot that must live inside the mind and heart of Hillary Clinton so that she could casually compare working-class people to Nazi Germany. She saw them raising their hands to Trump without looking a little more closely to see that wasn't the Nazi salute, but cell phones. Trump supporters have no status. They don't have a net worth of $120 million or an Apple TV show or a house in Chappaqua, New York. They've been beaten, spit on, screamed at, demonized, and called every name imaginable from Nazi to fascist to racist and now to domestic extremist, insurrectionist, election deniers. Even before Trump won, the left believed their violence against Trump supporters was justified. This is my favorite hat. This red hat reading Make America Great Again. The First Amendment says I can wear my hat. Is causing some frustrations for third grader Logan Autry. They told me to take my hat off because it brings negative emotions to the other children who don't like them. Autry says Thursday, school officials at Powers Ginsburg Elementary School in Fresno told him to take his Donald Trump hat off due to safety concerns after other students... George, this was one of the most violent scenes I have ever witnessed at a Trump rally. At times, it seemed like the police had no control of the situation. People were getting beat up right in front of them. And these were not clashes. These were pure attacks. Trump supporters, men, women, even the elderly, left this building last night and walked right into danger. Overnight, all-out brawls outside the Trump rally in San Jose, California. Trump supporters harassed, beaten, and bloodied by mobs of protesters. They're like spitting on me and stuff. This man says he was sucker punched, his clothes torn off his back. Seven more people just come in, start punching me. Carl, I look pretty bad. This lone female Trump supporter tried to stand her ground. Her sign torn from her hands, her glasses ripped off, then shoved in her face. A woman wearing a Trump jersey cornered and then egged in the face. Nazis go home! 
fights breaking out in the streets all over the convention. Inside, Trump spoke to a large and welcoming crowd. We're going to build that wall, don't even think about it. But outside, protesters accused Trump of being a racist and hunted down the people that support him. Another fist fight's about to break out right now. Trump supporter is getting pummeled right now. That man eventually fighting his way back to police. At another point, protesters followed this couple, violently harassing them, then storming the parking lot where they tried to escape. Protesters shaking cars and smashing taillights. Drivers forced to hit the gas to get out. Police were there, armed in riot gear, but from what we witnessed, reluctant to initially stop or engage the protesters. Then this, a young man running in fear from protesters, then getting tackled before breaking free. We point him to police. There's a cop over there. This Trump supporter walking with his wife, spat on. We can survive political differences. We can't survive this. What I realized over the past few years as I've gotten to know the world of MAGA is that we have a choice. Assume the worst about people or give them the benefit of the doubt. I would like to say I would give Hillary the benefit of the doubt. After all, I was the person who made this sign and marched along with millions for the Women's March. For podcast listeners, I'm looking at a very crudely drawn sign by me that says at the top, LGBTQ, and then women are the largest untapped reservoir of talent in the world, HRC. Hashtag still with her. But with a teenager possibly run down and smeared as a Republican extremist, with Biden's militant fascist speech, with a death threat on Justice Kavanaugh's life, all running parallel to a dangerously politicized Department of Justice. I'm much too concerned with the fate of the country to worry about protecting Hillary one more time. White men and women are the new existential threat to the left, but it is existential, not based on skin color. Black men can still be white supremacists in blackface like Larry Elder. Non-white women can be far-right Latinas like Myra Flores. Black women can be viciously attacked and trend for days on Twitter, like Candace Owens, receiving none of the protection she would get from the anti-racists. Steve Bannon's secret weapon is that he knows MAGA isn't driven by white rage. He's been actively engaged in building a coalition of working-class Black and Hispanic voters, or what he calls inclusive participatory nationalist populism, for at least five years. Anyone who dips a toe into Magaland quickly sees that it's not about racism at all. It's driven more by class, and yes, by Judeo-Christianity. From a story on Breitbart, quoting Bannon, we've got to start having access to capital to black and Hispanic entrepreneurs, Bannon said. During the financial crisis, Bannon said that the Wall Street class were taken care of by the government but that the smaller banks got crushed since many of them loaned money to working-class people who didn't get rescued by the government. The elites took care of themselves, he said. Bannon said that he was putting together a task force of Black and Hispanic entrepreneurs to help them build their communities. That, he explained, was a way to evolve the Republican Party into a working-class party for all Americans. That's why the media and why the Democrats are freaked out about that, he said, end quote. 
Up until recently, Christianity was the beating heart of this country that united most Americans by roughly 80%. I was never raised with any kind of religion because I'm a child of the left. Most conservatives, though, don't look to politics for their collective sense of purpose. They look to God. This might explain why all of a sudden a new term has been dropped into the mix to demonize the MAGA movement, white Christian nationalism. Only recently has the idea of someone being a Christian become a clear and present threat to the newfound religion of the left, says a story in Politico by Stella Rouse and Shibli Telhami. Quote, Christian nationalism, a belief that the United States was founded as a white Christian nation and that there is no separation between church and state, is gaining steam on the right. Prominent Republicans have made the themes critical to their message to voters in the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections. Doug Mastriano, the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania, has argued that America is a Christian nation and that the separation of church and state is a myth. Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Georgia hardliner, declared, We need to be the party of nationalism, and I'm a Christian, and I say it proudly. We should be Christian nationalists. Amid a backlash, she doubled down and announced she would start selling Christian nationalist t-shirts. Now Florida Governor Ron DeSantis seems to be flirting with Christian nationalist rhetoric as well, end quote. Always pivoting to racism is a convenient out for the Biden administration, which is disgraceful. But it's also a great way to sabotage this country to keep us weak and divided. Although they don't realize it yet, the left is gambling with its own existence. They're hoping to solve our population decline with the migrants flooding in from mostly Latin American countries. Most of those countries are rooted not in wokeness, but in Catholicism. Democrats believe they will be so grateful they'll vote blue no matter who, but are they so sure about that? By hanging their entire platform on urging women to see abortions as no big deal, or even an act of empowerment, they're flirting with disaster. If America begins to rise once again as a Christian nation, thanks to the influx of millions of new migrants, not to mention most of them are likely to be socially conservative, which will run counter to the platform of the new left. With declining sperm counts and fertility rates, not to mention population decline, our future will not be siding with those who have the most abortions, but with those who have the most babies. It's simple math. Awaiting the rapture. Unless you were part of it, it's hard to explain the rapture most of us experienced when Obama rose to power. It was not just pure love for him, or that he had so much charisma, no scandals or baggage, a perfect family, or that he'd graduated from Harvard and had such sophisticated tastes. It was the idea that America had its first black president, a new religion was born. For my generation and the one that came before, growing up without religion was cool. Only Republicans were churchgoers. Boomers traded their Christian upbringings in the 1950s for a cultural renaissance in the 1960s. Black power, the feminist movement, civil rights. It all exploded outward, away from traditional religion. As children of the me generation, we helicopter parents were spiritually adrift, aimless and emotionally destroyed. We sought fulfillment in self-help therapy, where we talked about the abuse we suffered at the hands of our narcissistic parents. 
We had Oprah every day at 3 p.m. where we worked out all of our problems as a society. Then came the McMartin preschool scare, Columbine, and 9-11. By the turn of the millennium, we were dealing with one threat after another, a 24-hour news cycle thanks to the OJ trial. And now the internet would provide us with second-to-second input of all the threats everywhere. We were primed and ready for one person to rise up and give us all a collective sense of purpose. That person was President Barack Obama and the Obama coalition he built online, Twitter specifically. As our kids took to the internet to escape our non-stop attentive coddling, an entire generation came of age as social media natives. They were forging new virtual identities with new rules and new ways of seeing and identifying themselves with one another. What better way to do that than by skin color, gender, or victim status? If you were marginalized, you were protected. If you weren't, you were an oppressor. Therefore, it was open season. For white kids without any cultural identity, gender became their way of distinguishing themselves from cisgendered, heteronormative, colonizing white supremacists. To them, identity was and is everything. They absorbed our growing fear about the rise of racism in America, which took root in 2008, with conservatives like Steve Schmidt and John McCain concluding Sarah Palin was a xenophobic warrior for the white race. We see this epiphany play out in the HBO movie Game Change. You're one of the leaders of the party now, Sarah. Don't get co-opted by Limbaugh and the other extremists. They'll destroy the party if you let them. Remember, you were a hockey mom. You just wanted to make a difference. And you did. And just like that, the birth of the Never Trump movement and the idea that there were good Republicans and bad Republicans and that all of it was based on racism was born. It just so happened that the Tea Party was challenging the whole system, Democrats and Republicans alike, who had sold out the country with a $700 billion bank bailout and bad trade policies. How convenient then to target them as racists. And when Trump questioned Obama's birth certificate, what else could that be, we all thought, except blatant racism? That is nothing but a bunch of tea-banging rednecks. Angry government and and racism. The conservative movement has now crystallized into the white power movement. Who are ill into killing blacks and Jews and women or whatever it may be. I haven't met any racists yet, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, not in the Tea Party. Have you yourself, has anyone accused you of racism for your involvement in the Tea Party? Today, yes. I've been called a couple of bad words. Today? They're a cult. Nazis. Fascist. Un-American. Racist. Any opposition you have, any opposition to Obama, to, to the Democratic Party, anything right now, the way to end any argument, racist. This is racism straight up. They say racist, and the argument's over. How can that be? I mean, there is freedom of speech, but you know, that comes with a responsibility. I think this is dangerous rhetoric. They're fascist stooges who, uh, in the true sense of that word, that's not hyperbole. And, you know, we see these hate groups rising up, and this is definitely part of that. No, I see a lot of anger toward the government, but I don't see any hate. The media has told everyone, uh, these these blind, misguided people, that the Tea Party is racist, so that, so that, you know, African-Americans and other other groups and Democrats won't participate in something which would definitely help out their children. You can't deal with these people at all. 
that, that's what they want to do. They want to categorize us to where we're all, all fighting each other. I think they're threatened and they're afraid we're going to win. So they're trying, like, how can we bring it down? Oh, the worst thing you could be in this country is a racist. This is about hating a black man. To be honest with you, the first time I heard Obama speak, I thought, there's a guy that knows what he's talking about. He speaks very, very well. But he has converted it to socialism. Take from the people who are working and give to those who aren't. You are un-American, you are anti-American, you do not love this country, and you are rooting against America. They see millions of people in this country asking the question among themselves and within their neighborhoods, are these fools in Washington going to wreck our country? And it scared them half to death. Obama graciously supplied a copy of his birth certificate and then mocked Trump publicly at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. There is a vicious rumor floating around that I think could really hurt Mitt Romney. I heard he passed universal health care when he was governor of Massachusetts. Someone should get to the bottom of that. And I know just the guy to do it. Donald Trump is here tonight. Now, I know that he's taken some flack lately, but no one is happier, no one is prouder to put this birth certificate matter to rest than the Donald. And that's because he can finally get back to focusing on the issues that matter. Like, did we fake the moon landing? What really happened in Roswell? And where are Biggie and Tupac? The two locked horns in 2011, and we're still watching a battle between Obama's America and Trump's. It also has morphed into a war between the Great Awakening and the Judeo-Christian ethic. Many of the Zoomers, children of the newly woke religious left, grew up with the certainty that America was not only a systemically racist country, but they were living among millions of their fellow Americans who were racists. The social justice movement that now dominates the left began in virtual hives on social media. Those kids went to the indoctrination factories our universities have become, grew up, joined the workforce, and essentially did to America what a group of activists did to Evergreen University. Colleges have always been a place for political discourse in the United States, and in the past year, tensions on campus have risen as controversial guest speakers have been shut down and faculty have been suspended over offensive comments in the classroom. Some fear that so-called political correctness is overtaking free speech on college campuses. In 2016, the dean of students at the University of Chicago went so far as to say to incoming freshmen that the school would not condone safe spaces and trigger warnings. In tonight's signature segment, NewsHour Weekend's Yvette Feliciano examines the case of one small liberal arts college in the Pacific Northwest that's dealing with its own controversy surrounding race, equity in higher education, and political correctness. The Democrats like the administration at Evergreen, the people who run the Motion Picture Academy, and all other members of the 1% buckled under the pressure. The New Red Scare if history had gone differently, a moral panic in America in 2022 might have looked like another Red Scare. 
a discovery of Harvard professors selling information to the Chinese Communist Party, colliding with a virus from Wuhan, not to mention a near-complete takeover of our manufacturing jobs, might have set Americans on edge that communists were once again at the gates. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a document at the Department of Justice website with the headline, Harvard University Professor and Two Chinese Nationals Charged in Three Separate China-Related Cases. But look at the date, January 28, 2020. The focus wasn't on China, Chinese spies, or even the COVID pandemic, which was starting to make its way to the United States. Americans were in the grips of a different kind of moral panic. Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? A lot of people say it's racist. It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China. That's why comes from China. I want to be accurate. Yeah, please, John, please. Um, I have a great, I have great love uh, for all of the people from our country. But uh, as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe they stopped now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. Uh, It comes from China. John, please. This moral panic is destroying us in all ways, turning us against ourselves, and making us much more vulnerable and weak to our adversaries. Russia, China, North Korea, or any major enemy of the United States would no doubt have figured out that there was one surefire way to bring the most powerful country in the world to its knees, accusations of racism. The Chinese have our number. They even have a special name for it. To all my liberals out there, we have a term in Chinese called baizuo. In Chinese, baizuo means a naive, educated Western person who advocates for peace and equality only to satisfy their own feeling of moral superiority. A baizuo only cares about such topics such as immigration, minorities, the environment, and LGBT while being obsessed with political correctness to the extent that they import backwards Islamic values for the sake of multiculturalism. The Chinese see the Baizuo as ignorant and arrogant Westerners who pity the rest of the world and think that they themselves are the saviors of that world. Are you a Baizuo? Check yourself. Sooner rather than later, we'll need leadership that can't be so easily undone, that isn't given to nonstop fits of mass hysteria, We need a steady hand to guide this ship at such a dangerous time. MAGA Land At some point in 2020, I found myself staring at my Twitter feed and had what I can only describe as blood poisoning. There was so much hate. It was in my heart. It was in my veins. I just could not live with it anymore. I decided I had to find out. Was it true? Were they really racists? I'd already experienced what it was like to be called a racist. When I pointed out on Twitter that not all Asian hate crimes were white supremacy, members of my own community targeted me as a white supremacist. It didn't matter that I'd spent at least 10 years advocating for black artists to win Oscars on my website. It made no difference. I was only seen by my identity as a white woman online. I then decided to take a trip to Megaland, 
I began following a YouTube site called Right Side Broadcasting. They are Christian-based and staunchly pro-life. Each video begins with an image of a fetus in the womb. They hold weekly prayer meetings and live stream all of Trump's rallies. They usually set up early in the day and begin recording as the crowd begins to form. I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free, and I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. And I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Then Trump finally shows. He often has a handful of red hats that he tosses out into the crowd. Trump's speeches are almost always the same. They're funny. He tells jokes a lot of the time at his own expense. In the old days, back in 2016, his speeches were much darker and angrier. Now they aren't. Being banned from Twitter seems to have changed Trump for the better. This is a cautionary tale of the evils of a social media algorithm that feeds off our outrage and hysteria. You can't dip a toe in MAGA land and come away seeing it as a movement driven by racism, not if you're being honest. That tells you a lot already about what kind of media class we have in this country, that they were leading the charge for what has become shameful, systematic dehumanization of a whole group of people with no benefit of the doubt, no due process, no path to redemption. But the truth still matters, even if it's met with a tsunami of mass hysteria and moral panic. I have watched every Trump rally since he began holding them in 2020, every single one. And not only is the MAGA movement not driven by white rage, but they are far more diverse and multicultural than the media seems to believe. Hi everyone, this message is for the President of the United States. So if you know someone close to him, please tag them so they can bring this to his attention. My name is Alma Eugenio Pari. I'm a person of faith, a husband of 16 years, and a father of four wonderful children. I am also an immigrant to the United States of America. I came here at the age of 19, full of hope, optimism, and a willingness to do what was necessary to achieve the American dream. After 18 years of waiting and hoping, I was finally granted the privilege of becoming an American citizen in 2021. Today, I am a proud American, a law-abiding patriot, and a man willing to defend the principles and values that made America great and brought people like me here. Mr. President, I am also a conservative Republican, or what you have recently labeled a MAGA Republican. Over the last few days, you have looked into the camera and called me and millions of other people like me extremists. You have told me and my children that we don't matter to you because of our beliefs. Your spokespeople and the media have labeled us dangerous, full of hate, and a threat to democracy. You went as far as to suggest that we would not stand a chance against the government's F-15s in defending our country from tyranny. Your party leaders have taken your cue and called us terrorists, and all this without taking any time to acknowledge our humanity, listen to our concerns, or seek to understand our fears. I was born in a country where my rights were not always guaranteed. And to hear the president of America and the leader of the free world dismiss more than 70 million of his own countrymen as fringe and extreme and not worth listening to 
breaks my heart and makes me wonder what I should tell my children about the future of this once great shining city on a hill. This is the reason many of us embrace the call to make America great again. It is because we believe our great nation is under a moral, fiscal, and spiritual assault. We are MAGA because we want to restore the promise in the hearts of our children that this is the place where their efforts will be rewarded and where their true potential can be realized. We are MAGA because we believe in freedom of speech, the freedom to exercise our religion. We believe in limited government and the rule of law. We are MAGA because we love the Constitution and believe our founders established a means for we the people to defend it from enemies, both foreign and domestic. I am MAGA because I want to be able to look into the eyes of my four black children to assure them that they're not victims, that they hold inside them what it takes to achieve anything they set their hearts on. We believe our leaders should put America and its interests first before any other nation. We believe our government should not saddle our children and grandchildren with insurmountable debt, chasing after a misguided idea of controlling or changing the course of the climate. Millions of us were horrified to witness what happened on January 6 and believe that justice must be served. But we also see through the attempt to paint all Republicans with a false moniker of insurrectionists and to conflate the genuine misgivings of those who feel disaffected and disenfranchised with an unfounded accusation that we are somehow against democracy. And if you want to know why so many Latinos are flipping red, for podcast listeners, we're looking at a tweet from Batia Anger Sargon that says, quotes a story in the New York Times. I've spoken to several Latinos, particularly men, who have told me a version of, I grew up hearing that Democrats were the party of the poor, but I don't want to be poor, so I became a Republican. And the title of the piece is A Shrinking Margin, Democrats Lost Ground with Hispanic Voters in 2020. It doesn't seem to have been a blip. So if it's not about racism, what's it about? Well, Angar Sargon has an idea. A moral panic about racism, you know, the invented notion that America is still a white supremacy, the view, the false view that Americans are still racist and getting more and more racist and that racism poses a huge threat to people of color in America. This invented view was the perfect alibi if you were a rich liberal who still wanted to feel more virtuous than everybody you knew, because you could say, I'm the one who gets it. I'm the one who understands the true inequality without ever having to disrupt the actual inequality that put you on top. She has been fearless in her efforts to bridge the divide between the mass hysteria on the left and the working class on the right. She and Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Megyn Kelly, Walter Kern, and Tulsi Gabbard have maintained their objectivity and their humanity, empathy, and willingness to see the bigger picture. As Matt Taibbi often points out, we seem to be missing the old school lefties like William Kunstler, who would defend civil liberties at all costs. Now only one remains, Alan Dershowitz, who has taken on the lost cause of Mike Lindell. Lindell is a hero in MAGA-land and a joke to high-status folks like Jimmy Kimmel and Jon Stewart. A man whose life was nearly ruined by addiction found God and started not just a charity, 
but a business called MyPillow. So then the FBI seized Lindell's cell phone, which he uses to conduct business. Now, amazingly, most liberals cheered the sun. If you don't like Mike Lindell, don't buy his pillows, but you don't have to sick the FBI on him. But they were happy the FBI was sicked on him. But Alan Dershowitz, who was a lifelong liberal Democrat, is an exception to this. Dershowitz is now representing purely on principle Mike Lindell in his lawsuit against the Department of Justice. Then he wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal explaining why he's doing this. Alan Dershowitz is a Harvard Law professor emeritus, and we're happy to have him join us today. Uh, Mr. Dershowitz, thanks so much for coming on. So you've already taken, an, I happen to know, a lot of heat from people you've known your whole life, fellow liberals, for being associated with anyone near Trump. But you're doing this anyway. You're disinvited from parties. Why are you doing this? I've always just gone where the Constitution points me. Uh, whoever the government oppresses and violates their constitutional rights, I'll defend them. I've defended communists and Nazis. I've defended Democrats like Ted Kennedy and Republicans like President Trump. I will continue to do so. When it comes to the Constitution, I'm not a conservative or a liberal or a Democrat or a Republican. I am somebody who wants to support the Constitution. And today, my old friends on the liberal left don't want me to defend the Constitution on behalf of conservatives, and they have tried to cancel me. That's why I wrote my book, The Price of Principle, because the price has been very high, yes. not so much on me, but on my family. The library in yes. Chilmark, Massachusetts, banned my books and banned me from speaking. A library. That's how far this has gone in liberal Martha's Vineyard. But you're rubbing it in their faces anyway, or effectively you are, maybe not intentionally, but by doing this, tell us why you think what the FBI did to Mike Lindell is scary. Well, first of all, if they had done it to a Democrat, uh, we would have every liberal Democrat, the ACLU, uh, complaining bitterly. First, they tracked him down. How would they know he was hunting and going to a Hardee's? Obviously, they had to have some GPS or some tracking mechanism, and we want to know whether they had a warrant for doing that. Then, if they had a warrant and they stopped yeah. him, they should have just asked him for his phone. They should have subpoenaed the phone. They actually had a subpoena at the same time, but it didn't include his phone. See, if they had a subpoena, then it could have been challenged. But if you take the phone, then they get everything. They get lawyer-client privilege material. They get business material. Right. They get First Amendment-protected material. They know who's working along with Mike Lindell to try to do whatever he's doing, which I disagree with about undoing the election. I'm not representing Lindell because I agree with him at all. I'm representing Lindell in the same way that I would represent a liberal Democrat who was subject to the same kind of unconstitutional searching. And for that, I'm being highly criticized by people on the left. They say Trump is different. You can't apply the Constitution to him. They said that when they detained 110,000 Japanese Americans. This is different. They said that during McCarthyism. This is different. They said that during the Vietnam War. This is different. Now they're saying it with Trump, but it's not different. If you deny the constitutional rights to anybody, that precedent lies around like a loaded gun waiting to be picked up by any autocrat and waiting to be used against Amen. you and your family and your party. I mean, and it, it, a lot of these people don't have access to quality lawyers because they've been intimidated out of representing them. You're one of the last ones who will, and I, I really appreciate it. Alan Dershowitz, thank you. Thank you so much. When you see how beloved Lindell is with MAGA, much of it is to do with their shared faith, that cross that hangs around his neck. He, like Trump, gives them hope. These are people not driven by hate or rage, but by love. 
For people who have been shut out of every part of American culture, demonized for six long years, called the worst names imaginable, not welcomed in many places, lost friends and family, they somehow haven't lost their hope and their optimism. A lot of that has to do with Trump, believe it or not. He's one thing they haven't been able to take away from them. As enemies of the state, they have plenty of reasons to be angry. We saw some of that on January 6th. But 2020 was a year that broke people. Only one group was ever held accountable for losing it, even though Trump supporters pride themselves on being nonviolent. Now, the state has managed to intimidate them to prevent them from using their constitutional right to protest. But to take love of country away from people whose entire identity is wrapped up in patriotism seems to me an act of unimaginable cruelty. However, they still have a vote, and if they turn out in large enough numbers, they can have more of a voice in D.C. MAGA voters have every reason to be mean and bitter. But you know what? It's people like Hillary Clinton, the never-Trump Republicans, and most in the media and on blue-check Twitter, who have become the mean and bitter ones, abandoning basic human decency in their desire to eliminate a group of people they see as an existential threat to their otherwise pristine utopia. But, as with the Grinch who stole Christmas, they will soon learn that what MAGA voters care about most is not something they can take away. I don't know what Hillary saw. My guess is that she was looking for what she wanted to see, not what was really there. If she watched a MAGA rally, really, really watched it, she would not see miserable people, upset that they aren't allowed into the country club. Instead, they're happy, like the Who's in Whoville. Poo-poo to the Who's, he was grinchily humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. Then the Who's down in Whoville will all cry, Boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must hear. He paused, and the Grinch put a hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. This sound wasn't sad. What? This sound sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling.
Huxley. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzed till his puzzle of a saw. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. That is happiness that only comes when your mind and your heart are free. So if you want to understand MAGA, start there. Plenty of people gravitate to Trump for different reasons. A rebellious spirit, their religious faith. But what unites them as a movement is love of country. Nationalism is not itself fascism or even racism. James Strock's substack focuses on the need for an invigorated new nationalism, writing, quote, What a calling is to an individual, nationalism can be to a commonwealth. It can be a source of solidarity. It's expressed over space and time through a unifying narrative. From history, it derives values and experiences that can inform our navigation of the present. These elements yield a vision for conjuring and creating a future. End quote. Our moral panic that there are racists, racists everywhere, is nowhere near finished. At the very least, however, we must vote out those politicians who are primed and ready to convict people on what they think exists inside their minds and their hearts. Liz Cheney and the January 6th committee will continue Joe Biden's ignorant campaign to use racism as the justification for their authoritarian show trial and politicization of the DOJ. History will shame them for it. Ultimately, though, the way I figure it, hate eventually exhausts itself. Love wins. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And if you'd like to email me, you can at sashastone at gmail.com. And remember to thine own self be true. And I'm feeling the strain. Ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I wanna get lost in your rock and roll. I'm counting on you to carry me through.